June, what is it, the 4th? Yeah, I'm half asleep. June the 4th, I'm just trying to figure it. 43 years ago today, I came across the Atlantic. That was the day that I left England to come over here, 43 years ago today. So that's why everywhere I go, I'm back in England, they say, oh, I detect an accent. I come here, they say, I detect an accent. <laughs> Where are you from? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere. It's good to be back, though. Today, um, we're going to do part two of our new series called Being Me. Now, if you didn't get a bulletin, you need a bulletin, and inside of there, there are notes for this one. Now, being me, that's not being me personally, because the room is filled with me's, right? You're all a me. It's about us being who we were created to be, who we were, were made to be. The reason that I'm doing this series, and I'm glad that you've asked why I'm doing this series, is that the best me that I can be, the best me that you can be, is the one that you were designed to be, created to be. That's the only one that can bring true fulfillment, true contentment, true happiness in our lives. I mean, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than trying to live your life, but you're not who you are. Some people might be able to relate to this. You know, oftentimes in a work situation, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, you're in a job and it's just not you. You know, you feel like a square peg in a round hole and no matter what they try to get you to do, it just doesn't feel right because it's not you. Sometimes this happens to us in relationships. This is why I always say there's no substitution for time in a relationship. You see people that rush into a relationship and then they discover that, in order for this, this relationship to work, I have to change who I am. I can't be me. Or you have to change who you are. You can't be me. And eventually, that's going to kind of rub us the wrong way. The only way that we can find true satisfaction, I believe, in life is when we are able to be who the Lord has created us to be, being me. That's what this series is all about. Last week, I talked about the first part of being me means being part of this. This is God's design for us to be part of his community, to be part of the church, not just any church. For me, it's this particular church. Um, I've been, you know, I enjoyed my time in England visiting with family. And I got to be honest, I've been kind of skipping and singing and humming ever since I got back. Because, you know, I, I shared this last week. You just feel like, oh, this is where I belong. These, these are my people. These are my peeps. And it's just good to be here. We were designed to be in community with one another. So in order for you to be who God has called you to be, for me to be who God has called me to be, we be together. That's, that's part of the pattern. This morning, we're going to look at another element, being spiritual. Now, you know, when you say that word, th those words, being spiritual, what, what comes to mind? It can conjure up all kinds of things, can't it? I mean, there are a lot of people these days, when you talk to them about faith, they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't really know about Jesus. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just spiritual. I'm a very spiritual person. I like a little bit of Buddha. I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of, you know, they've got a salad God. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's all over the place. So that's one image. 
And then sometimes, you know, you talk about being spiritual. You think about someone who's very mature. You know, oh man, they, you know, that's the person I go to if I've got a question. They just seem so spiritual. But then there's also the negative side of it. You get those people who are super spiritual. We all know the ones I'm talking about, right? They just, I'm just so holy. If only you could be like me. I mean, but we are called to be spiritual. It's a part of who we are in Christ. You cannot be who you are without being spiritual. All followers of Christ are called to be spiritual. So this morning we're going to kind of dive into this a little bit. It's going to take a couple of weeks. I want you to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to John chapter 3. And uh, unfortunately, I put this scripture on the bulletin. I never got to it. (laughs) We'll get to that next week. We're going to start in in John chapter 3. There's a lot of confusion when it comes to the Holy Spirit and, and what it means to have the Spirit. You know, there there are people that believe uh, that there's a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can become a Christian. You can ask Jesus to come into your life as Lord and Savior. But you need this other baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there will be evidence that you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There will be miraculous signs speaking in tongues or some other miracle. Other people believe that... um, Some of that was true at one point, but it's no longer true. It was part of the apostolic age, and it's over. Other people believe... There's all kinds of different beliefs about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to dig into Scripture and and see what does the Scripture say about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start with a passage that you wouldn't have thought of, I don't think, from John chapter 3. It's where Jesus has a conversation with a Pharisee called Nicodemus. Most people are familiar with this passage of Scripture, but you may not have come at it from this angle. So John chapter 3, we're looking at verses 1 through 21. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen there. I'm preaching from the New Living Translation. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to read any further. We're going to dig into this, and then we'll We'll do the, the rest. So let's start over. There's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And most people know that the Pharisees were a, a specific Jewish sect. They were known for their 
pious adherence to all of the Jewish laws and the Jewish festivals. They were kind of like the cream of the crop, if you were, of the church. Every little thing that you had to do, they did it to the nth degree. Now, the bad thing about the Pharisees is, I mean, it's good to follow God's law, which is what they were doing, but they did it in such a manner that they looked down on anybody who didn't do it to the degree that they did it. And, and the other thing that they would do is they would see God's law and they would add to it. I, I think I shared a few weeks ago the, the time when Jesus healed a blind man and he spit in the dust. And the Pharisees were all upset because Jesus spit in the dust. Because on the Sabbath, it was okay to clear your throat. But if you spit in the dust and the spittle rolled, that was works. That was wrong. I mean, that, that's how the Pharisees were. So this man is a Pharisee, and he is a religious leader. So he had authority. He had position. I mean, th this guy's a, a big deal. But he comes to Jesus after dark because the Pharisees are the enemies of Jesus. They're the ones that plotted to execute Jesus. And this guy's a part of that group. Now, something's going on, and he knows more... You know, there's something inside of him. He's conflicted, so he wants to come to Jesus. He does it after dark because he doesn't want his compatriots to know he's there. It says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This shows how conflicted Nicodemus is. He's part of these Pharisees who are already plotting to kill Jesus, but he sees the evidence. He sees what Jesus is doing, and he's conflicted. He's the, you know, th th this has to be from God, but he's afraid to stand up and speak out about his convictions because of the repercussions that that would bring. I think that affects a lot of us sometimes. I mean, so often people will, will hide their faith or not act in faith because they're worried about the consequences if they were to stand up and, and, and speak out for Jesus. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now just put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. This is like, what? Where, where did that come from? How did that get into the conversation? He comes to Jesus, it's after dark, and he says, Jesus, you know, we know that you've come from God, we've seen the miracles, and, and that you're a teacher. And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just kind of weird. Jesus did this kind of thing all the time. We go to Jesus so often with our agenda, don't we? I mean, just think about your prayer life. I know what my prayer life is, it's a great big checklist. Jesus, could you do this? Jesus, could you do that? Jesus, could, oh, in your spare time, could you do this? Could you do this? And I'm going down my checklist. There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're called to pray. But we go to Jesus with our agenda. Jesus knows what we need. He has an agenda for us. So this poor fellow, Nicodemus, he's gone to Jesus. We don't know why he's gone to Jesus. All we know, he snuck in there after dark. He's acknowledged who Jesus is. And right away, Jesus makes this weird statement. I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? Now, why would Jesus say this? 
Because Jesus knows what Nicodemus needs. Nicodemus may not know it yet. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's room and be born again? It's a wonderful teaching technique that Jesus uses. If you want to make headway with somebody, if you, if, if you want to have a life-changing conversation, learn how to make statements or ask questions that make them think. That kind of knocks them back like, oh. And, and they have to think about it a little bit. So, you know, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus could have said, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, Nicodemus. But no, he comes out with this weird, weird statement about you got to be born again. How can a man be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Being spiritual is a prerequisite of the Christian life. You cannot get into the kingdom, God is, Jesus is teaching here, without being born of water and being born of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus, let me, let me get into this just a little bit. He's a teacher. He would have been well aware of the role that water plays in the Jewish, Jewish purification rites. Washing and cleaning was a big deal for priests and people in authority in the Jewish circles. To come into the presence of the Lord, there was a whole routine of, of washing that you would have to go through. To come to the Lord to present your offerings for forgiveness, you couldn't go to the Lord. You'd have to go to the priest. And the priest would take your offering, whatever your sacrifice is, to God. But in that process, there was bathing. There was all kinds of things that, that had to be done. Nicodemus would be familiar with it. And this harkens back, what Jesus has to say here, harkens back to a wonderful prophecy that we find in Ezekiel chapter 36. Hundreds of years before. And I'm not going to dig into this. I just want to bring it to you. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 says, Then I will, this is the Lord speaking, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. It's like if God gives you a bath, you're clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. So he brings up this whole thing about this spirit. This is hundreds of years before this conversation with Nicodemus. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. It's such a wonderful passage of scripture because it's a hope for the future. I mean, we are naturally predisposed to sin, aren't we? I mean, if you're anything like me, it's so easy to go down the wrong road. It just seems like somebody's got to open the door, and I'm like, ooh, the door. But God is going to put a new heart in us. He's going to put a new spirit in us so that our natural disposition will be to good 
Isn't that something to look forward to? I'm looking forward to a new heart. So Nicodemus probably was familiar with this prophecy. Jesus continues. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. No wonder there's so much confusion as to the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says right here, you can't explain. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. If Jesus says that it's difficult to explain, then it's darn difficult to explain. So I'm going to just pack it up right here. It's a mystery, and Nicodemus agrees. He says, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, I love the way Jesus, sarcasm is a spiritual gift, I'm sure. (laughs) Jesus is so good at it. You're a respected Jewish leader, teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? How are you feeling now, Nicodemus? Got any other questions for me? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. So he's hearkening back to what Nicodemus has said. We've seen your miracles. We know you're from God, but they're not acknowledging him from God. I assure you, we tell you what we have known and seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven and returned. But the Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now Jesus is referring here to his crucifixion on the cross. That was a term that they used to use. I'm going to be lifted up because you'd get nailed to the cross and then they would lift the cross up. So that's what he's referring to here. Son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And here we have the most well-known verse in all the Bible is in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, a Pharisee. But this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. He's really, he's kind of twisting the knife a little bit with poor old Nicodemus here. Because Nicodemus is a hypocrite. He's a teacher of the law. He's a religious leader. He's come to to Jesus after dark. He starts the whole thing out with Jesus. We know that you come from God. We've seen your miracles. But the Pharisees would not acknowledge Jesus for who he was. 
They're hiding in the dark. He's come to him in the dark. And Jesus talks about, you got to live in the light. So the question that begs to be asked here, what was Nicodemus lacking? He's a devout man. He's a believer. He's a teacher of scriptures. He's got authority. He's got respect in the community. But he's lacking something. And this is what Jesus is teaching on. He was lacking the Holy Spirit. That's evident from two things in this passage of Scripture. First off, his behavior. We're going to dive into that in a second. And secondly, Jesus' teaching. What did Jesus say to him? I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You must be born of the Spirit. This is all about, how many beings can I get in this sentence? This is all about human beings being spiritual. We're called to be spiritual, but we are human. Nicodemus was bound up by his human nature, as we are so often. He was of the flesh and not of the Spirit. And we live in an ongoing struggle, all of us, between our flesh and the spirit. This came home to me last week. Funny, funny little story to share with you. Oh, I don't know who gave me this. It was on my desk, Plymouth Argyle Football Club. That's my team in England. It was on my desk when I got back. The timing was perfect because I had another one. And I left it in the hotel on the way here from London. And I get here, and God, thank you, God, spoke to someone and got me a new water bottle with Plymouth Argyle on it. Sorry. What were we talking about again? (laughs) The struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Funny story for you. So last Sunday, a week ago today, I went out for my final walk on the cliffs. I love hiking. And uh, there's there's a pathway, a, a rough path that goes all the way along the southwest of England. It's a hundred and something miles long. It goes right past my wife's parents' house. Literally, their gate goes on to this path. So I love to go hiking, and it's hard because it's all cliffs. You, you know, you climb up to the top, and it goes all the way down to sea level, and up, and all the way down to sea level. So last Sunday, I thought, I'm going to go out, going to go for a walk, hike on the cliffs, and I'd gone about five miles. I'm getting tired. And in the afternoon, we're having a garden party. We had a tea party for Sandra's birthday last Sunday. Sat out in the garden. We had tea and we had sandwiches with the crust cut off. Elton John was there. Paul McCartney. (laughs) The king. At least in my mind. And I knew I had to be back for this garden party. So we'd already made arrangements that if I got so far, I would call and someone would come and rescue me. But I'm on the cliffs and I'm about a mile and a half from the nearest road. So I turn inland, I'm walking inland, I come to a little village called Kingston. And I'm tired, I've run out of water, and it's steep, like I say. And and, the only place that's open in Kingston is the Dolphin Inn. So I go in the Dolphin Inn, and I'm sitting in there, call, send someone to rescue me. 
And I was the only one in there. And the young lady that was serving behind the bar there start chatting. She must have asked me what I did because I can't remember how the conversation went this way. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. She said, oh, come and see this on the wall. And on the wall, they had the charter for the original pub, which was built in 15-something, 100 years before the Mayflower sale. These people are drinking in this pub. And she said, funny story, if you read the charter, when the community first started to be formed here, the, the church wanted to build a church. Got a little community? We need a church. The local farmers and the local workers all got together and said, no church until there's a pub. So they built this pub. Right next door is the vicar's house, the the pastor's house, and there's the church. It's all on the same piece of land. And, you know, I knew I was going to be preaching on this. I thought, that that just is the epitome of the human struggle, isn't it? Between the flesh and the spirit. The church comes in and says, we want you to have a church. Well, the people say, pub first. (laughs) And go to no church until we've been in the pub. We just have this ongoing struggle between what our flesh desires and what our spirit desires. Now, you've got notes there, and I've made two columns for you. So we're going we're to finish up here. If we dig into this a little bit, we can see through Nicodemus this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. So if you've got your notes, I'm going to give you both columns. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark. He's a coward. He's a coward. He's sneaking around in the dark to come to Jesus. He's being convicted, but he comes to Jesus in the dark. The scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit gives us courage, gives us boldness. He acknowledged privately that Jesus is from God. Publicly, he denies Jesus. He didn't know what to make of it all. His respected colleagues denied Jesus. But Nicodemus could see the evidence, so he was confused. That's part of the flesh. But the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit convicts us. What at one time may have confused us, I'm not sure about that. When the Spirit gets into us, it's like, man, I am rock solid on that. I am convicted of this. So you go from confusion to conviction. He was ignorant. He was a teacher, and yet he didn't understand what what Jesus was teaching him. Jesus even said it to him, really, you're a teacher? You don't get these things? Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the mysteries of Scripture. So you go from ignorance to understanding. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. How many times do you say this in Scripture? I tell you the truth. You've seen the evidence, and yet you still deny the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us from denial to truth. Nicodemus was dead in his sins, even though he was a very religious man. Jesus said, all who believe in me will be saved. It's not about all your religious good works. It's not about following this festival or or doing this or doing that. It's all about believing in me. All who trust what I have done will be saved. The Holy Spirit leads us from death 
to life. Nicodemus is in the dark. Comes to Jesus in the dark. Jesus says, you've got to get in the light, man. The Holy Spirit changes our attitude from dark to light. We come out of the darkness. We're, we're, what's in the darkness? There's confusion, there's doubt, there's fear. Into the light where there's clarity, there's understanding, there's confidence, there's life. It's game-changing. This Holy Spirit is game-changing. It is relationship-changing, life-changing. You see, how we live, how we relate to one another must be spirit-driven. Because in the flesh, it doesn't work very well. And the end result of all these things, we become a bold witness for the Lord. And it's stamped on our lives by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. When you look at all of these things on the right side of the screen that come from the Spirit, those things do not come naturally. They come supernaturally. They are of the Spirit. That's why in our flesh, when we just, man, I just got to work harder at this. You know, I remember years ago going through anxiety. <laughs> and uh, what was the term? I've got to think of the right term here. It was, you need to work harder at relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll work on that then. These things come supernaturally. So the question then becomes, how do I activate this power in my life? Next week. We're not going to dive into that today. That's going to be next week. I didn't get to the scripture that I was going to get to. I got hung up on Nicodemus. The most important thing is how the Holy Spirit becomes active in our lives. We all have the Holy Spirit. But you can see by the way that people live that some people, the Spirit is active and alive and powerful in their lives. And in other people, it's dormant and sleeping. It's in there. But nothing is really going on. And the question that we've got to struggle with, that we will wrestle with next week, is how do I take this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given me and make it active in my life so that it changed my outlook on life, it changes my relationships, it changes everything that I do so that my Christianity is not something that I get up in the morning and, oh man, I've got to do this for Jesus, got to do that for Jesus. It, it's just, Yeah. I love the song. Randy chose Waymaker. He didn't know what I was preaching on. And when I saw that on there, I thought, man, that's the sermon right there. Waymaker. He will make a way. It starts off, what does it say? You are moving here in our midst. I was praying for the Spirit this morning. Just, just to be powerfully here in our midst this morning. Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's this passage of scripture. So we're going to dive into that next week. Now, the reason that, that I'm shutting down now is because we're going to have communion. And it's an important time. Can I have those come forward, please, who are going to help with communion?